Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. House Republicans unveiled their 2018 bonding bill this week. They're proposing to spend $825 million on a variety of public works projects, but it's already getting pushback from Governor Dayton. Folks, as far as the bill itself... House Republicans propose a package of state building projects just over half the amount Governor Dayton proposes. It's less than the governor, but I believe in light of the fact that we did $987 million in bonding last year, that uh, this is a, a good bill and it addresses a lot of the critical needs of the state of Minnesota. The House proposes borrowing $825 million for building projects, the governor came in at $1.5 billion. Where's the other half? <laughs> that was Governor Dayton's reaction to the House proposal. It's woefully inadequate. One big difference is for projects at the U of M and the state colleges and university system. Governor Dayton proposes $542 million, the House about $300 million. But they agree on some projects, like $24 million to renovate Pillsbury Hall, the second oldest building at the U of M. They also agree on funding for a new visitor center at Fort Snelling, $30 million from the House and $34 million from the governor. For the Minnesota Zoo, the House proposes $10 million, the governor $21 million. They also both fund capital security upgrades, the governor at $33 million, the House at $10 million. But the biggest difference might be the House has $120 million for roads and bridges, the governor just $5 million. That bill got its first committee hearing on Friday. Senate Republicans have yet to unveil their bonding bill, and there are just two weeks left in the legislative session to get a compromise bill passed and sent to Governor Dayton. The House and Senate are going into a conference committee to look for a compromise on a tax conformity bill. Both chambers passed their version of a tax bill this week. The goal is to bring Minnesota tax laws in line with the new federal tax laws. The Senate's version cuts the lowest tax tier, preserves personal and dependent exemptions, and keeps a variety of tax deductions. The House version cuts the middle tax tier and increases the state's standard deduction, while the governor's plan relies on new tax credits for low- and middle-income earners and also preserves several tax deductions. Governor Dayton met with students this week who are pushing for stronger gun control laws in Minnesota. The students from Henry Sibley and Minneapolis North High Schools attended the March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. last month. The governor highlighted gun control measures that DFL lawmakers have introduced in light of the school shooting in Parkland, Florida. He called out Republicans for not giving them hearings this session. Enough hiding behind committees and uh, emotions. Time, time to take action and act on behalf of the people of Minnesota. A GOP lawmaker did introduce two gun control bills this week. One would give incentives to private sellers to verify that buyers are legally able to buy a gun. The other proposes changes to which guns can be taken from people after a court order. The House passed a public safety omnibus bill this week. It includes a provision that would toughen penalties for protesters that block interstates, like this one in 2015 after the police shooting death of Jamar Clark. Under the bill, offenders who block freeway or airport traffic would be charged with a gross misdemeanor instead of a misdemeanor. Some Democrats and other opponents are calling the move an attack on freedom of speech. A bill that would mandate hands-free cell phone use in vehicles remains alive in both the House and Senate, but the main author of the House bill still has his doubts about whether or not it will get a vote on the floor. 
Discussion to the bill as amended. A hands-free cell phone bill in the Minnesota House has 50 co-authors, including both Republicans and Democrats. The bill has passed committees in the House and the Senate with no opposition. Most every lawmaker you talk to says they witness distracted driving every day, whether it's texting or talking, and they say it's a major problem. It's nearing the end of session and we're a little apprehensive. The main House author of the bill says he's worried because his bill hasn't been cleared for a floor vote yet. Well, I think if it gets to the floor, uh, we, will, we will have enough votes to pass this by a considerable margin. Uh, I would be very surprised if it, if it did not pass. It's educating them that there's an economic impact to distracted driving, and so it's affecting them personally and all their constituents. We need your voice. The president of the Insurance Federation of Minnesota is often in the Capitol hallways pushing for the bill with any lawmaker he can find. This is passed in, as you know, 15 states. We have 110 million Americans that are operating under this law, and we want to make Minnesota the 16th state. Despite some momentum, supporters of the bill still have to overcome lawmakers who quietly object to having another freedom taken away. When you're talking about lives at stake here and the horrible carnage we have on the roads, you have to set those things aside. You have to be a legislator and you have to govern and you have to take care of people. And that's what this hands-free cell phone bill does. Representative Uglum says he's been told his bill will get a hearing in the House Ways and Means Committee later this week, the last stop before a possible floor vote. I'm also told a similar bill is still alive in the Senate, but no guarantee a bill will get to Governor Dayton. But if it does, he says he will sign it. Governor Dayton is requesting $138 million in emergency funding for Minnesota schools. The one-time funding would come from the budget surplus and amount to $126 per student in every school district. The governor claims 59 school districts face budget shortfalls and teacher layoffs. Critics say school districts would expect that money again in future years. That's really a decision for the next governor and the next legislature to make, and I'm not imposing that on them. Uh, it's for now. It, it is a band-aid, but it's more of a tourniquet. Part of the problem has been that the governor uh, is, is coming up with new initiatives uh, that help divert monies away from the core mission of schools, funding our K-12 classrooms. Republicans say part of the problem is Governor Dayton's focus on funding pre-kindergarten classes across the state. The House approved a plan to take some excess reserve money used to finance U.S. Bank Stadium to build three new veterans' homes around the state. The House proposes using $26 million of the stadium reserve. Much of the stadium financing is generated by charitable gambling, like electronic pull tabs. The money would be used to build veterans' homes in Montevideo, Bemidji, and Preston. We have an opportunity here today to do some really good work for the veterans who have dedicated their lives to our freedom that we have, our ability to be here on this House floor and to have this discussion. Governor Dayton says lawmakers should approve the money through the normal budgeting process and not take it from the stadium reserve fund. Republican Congressman Jason Lewis found himself in the role of lobbyist this week at the state capitol. Lewis is seeking support for his effort in Congress to curtail the power of the Met Council to make major funding and taxing decisions in the metro area. Many cities that support the Met Council and oppose Lewis on this issue say it's all about Republican opposition to public transit. We now have the only board in the country 
that is entirely non-elected, making crucial decisions on transportation, on housing, on infrastructure, without any accountability from the people it's supposed to represent. Let's just call it out. Because every single one of them is opposed to public transportation and light rail. That's what this is about at the end of the day. Lewis passed an amendment in the U.S. House to end the Met Council's designation as the key planning organization in the Twin Cities Metro. He's trying to get the Senate to do the same. A former ethics lawyer for President George W. Bush is running for U.S. Senate in Minnesota as a Democrat. This is not the America I want to live in. This is not the America I want my children to live in. And so I am going to seek the nomination of the Democratic Farmer Labor Party for this seat. We also... Richard Painter launched his campaign on Monday. He says he's fed up with President Trump and the Republican Party. Painter will run against current U.S. Senator Tina Smith for the DFL nomination. Republican State Senator Karen Housley and real estate developer Jerry Troyan are also in the race. Troyan is an independent. Republican candidate for governor Mary Giuliani Stevens announced her running mate this week. It is State Representative Jeff Backer from Browns Valley. Giuliani Stevens says Backer will provide balance to the ticket. Jeff has a proven track record of standing up on education, agriculture, rural health care, transportation, and all other issues of concern to rural families. We've been working hard for our constituents, Mary in the East Metro, me in West Central Minnesota. Stevens and Backer will seek the Republican Party endorsement next month. Jeff Johnson and Tim Pawlenty are also running as Republicans in the governor's race. And coming up next, Democratic candidate for governor Tim Walz joins me in studio. We'll talk to him about why he's giving up a seat in Congress to run for governor of Minnesota. Welcome back. We continue our conversations this week with candidates running for governor of Minnesota. Tim Walls is looking to make the move from congressman to governor. He's represented the 1st Congressional District, which covers much of southern Minnesota since 2007. Walls spent 24 years in the National Guard and is also a former high school teacher and football coach. And Tim Walls is joining us in studio today. Congressman, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Always, always good to see you. Uh, obviously, one of the big issues in this campaign, and it's not just a state issue, it's a national issue, and that's gun control. That's right. And you've been under scrutiny because you've had an A rating from the NRA in all of your races for Congress, and you're, you're trying to back away from that association a little bit. You've donated some money that they've donated to you. You've given to charity. But it's kind of a fine line to walk between supporting gun rights and yeah. kind of opposing the NRA. How do you walk that fine line? Well, we have to do that. I said I fall in the camp, I think, with uh, most Minnesotans. The, the constitutional right to keep and bear arms is something that, that I support, and I think they do too. But this idea that there's any way that we shouldn't do anything about what's happening, if whether it be school shootings, Las Vegas, or, or other things happening, we should strike that proper balance. And I think watching the national NRA and their, uh, their rhetoric is not helpful in solving this, but understanding my neighbors who are NRA members, uh, their hearts break every time there's one of these shootings. And I think for me over the years of moving towards some of these common sense solutions, if you do some background checks, do some research into this, trying to strike that balance. And I think that's a conversation we must have. And, and you have to try to figure out a way. The NRA looks at any of these what you call common sense yeah. measures. They say are, are the first step toward taking away rights. Yeah. How, how do you 
convince the, the many members of the NRA yeah. in greater Minnesota that that's not the case. Well, it has to be done in good faith. And I think someone like myself, who they know and trust, they know that I've been and grew up hunting. I spent decades in the military. I understand these, these weapons. I understand the responsibility that comes with owning them. I think it's talking to them in a way that doesn't disrespect them on it. When someone says they're concerned about gun control, that does not mean that they are not you know, heartbroken about a child being shot and want to fix that. They want to give their input in what they think will make a difference. So I think talking to them uh, with an honesty about finding real solutions, and I think Minnesotans are there. So I think that's the place, and, and I think we should thank young people. They're, they're bringing this up and forcing us to uh, find a solution that's not a false choice. Now, you've been considered a moderate member of, of Congress uh, when, since you've been serving there since 2007. As chief executive in Minnesota, what would be a Tim Wall's philosophy on taxes and spending, because obviously if, you, if you're facing a Republican-controlled legislature, there's going to be a lot of uh, issues where you're going to be at odds. Yeah, the quality of life in Minnesota is, is different and better than many places of the country. It's because we invest in things. And my philosophy on this is, is that people are willing to pay taxes as long as they believe they're fair and they believe they're being spent in a manner that benefits the state and benefits them. So I obviously believe in progressive taxation to much is given, much is expected of them, but that's a sense of fairness that comes into it. Always in Minnesota, we've had this sense of philanthropy, of investing back into the community. I think asking the taxpayers to look at what we're proposing, being transparent about it, finding workable compromises to get there, and then investing. Because Minnesotans are telling me, we want good schools, we want good roads, we want activities that we can do in the outdoors, clean water, those types of things. They're willing to pay for those if it makes sense to them. Minnesota is considered a high-tax state. It has been for many years. Will raising taxes be your last resort? or your first resort when you're I think, determining a, a balanced budget? And I've always said it, it, it's not even about the rate. It's what you're getting for it. It's the efficiencies. You should always try to look at it. I have a sacred responsibility, if, say, for example, with care for veterans. That means, though, that we should do what's necessary there, but it doesn't mean we should spend unlimited without looking at how we're watching uh, every taxpayer dollar. So you can strike that balance. So I think looking out, finding efficiencies, finding the best ways to do things, finding those things that only government should be doing to do and invest in those, and, and take the case to the taxpayer. So tax increases would be on the yeah. table, but along with a lot of yes, other things. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right. Now, Governor Dayton is calling for emergency funding for school districts. You were a school teacher at one point. He says there's uh, 59 school districts facing uh, dramatic shortfalls, possible layoffs. But is it good policy to do this one-time spending and then giving school districts the expectation that money will keep coming? Well, I think there's times when you have to triage. I know my constituents that were helped in the individual market last year in health care. No, I don't think it's the best policy to do that, but I applaud Governor Dayton for looking at this. Our schools are in crisis from this, much as the carryover for the, uh, the tax shifts and the things that happened before Governor Dayton was ever the governor. Um, and so I think what we need to do is talk again to the public. They, we all share the values. Good quality public schools, good use of taxpayer dollars, making sure every child has that opportunity. I think you need to get that uh, so there's more consistency to it. I'm very, very uncomfortable with us having to go to these emergency infusions. Are school districts, do you think, doing enough to control the costs? In some of them, they've got declining enrollments, and that's a problem. Yeah. Are they doing enough to account for that? Yeah, I think most of them are, and I've been in those classrooms. I, I, I'm one recycling papers and recycling pencils and things that it, we're going to have to figure out that in a changing world and the skill sets we want for our students, we have to invest and, and make the case uh, to the taxpayer again about what they're getting for that payment. Minnesota has good quality schools, but we have gaps that we need to fill in, and sometimes that that's going to take resources. So I think they're doing a good job. Let's get through a couple of issues relatively quickly in our last couple of minutes. Many Democrats want to make Minnesota care available to all Minnesotans, not just low income. Uh, so regardless of income, 
Is that a good idea? Is yeah, I think it makes sense. Proposed? I think you get people in on this. We've seen that. When you get people health insurance, it drives down the cost. You do a lot of preventative work. You make sure that people aren't uh, uh, risking uh, bankruptcy over the health care. And I think there's ways to expand that pool. I think that's a great first start. Now, several months ago, I moderated a uh, candidate forum with you. And back when there were like six or seven candidates uh, running for uh, the DFL, and every nomination for governor, every one of you that was at that forum said yes to recreational marijuana. That is your position? Yeah, I think the way to do it is to regulate it in a smart way, make sure the state is there. Uh, the issue of, uh, of adult usage marijuana makes sense, the taxation that comes with it and being able to funnel that back. Also, we have a lot of uh, inequities, racial inequities that go with incarceration dealing with marijuana, and I think those are things that we can correct. So I think it makes sense. We're seeing it in other states. We're not seeing the, the doom and gloom of uh, increased crime. And, and I trust people as adults to make decisions in their own lives, and I think this is one of them that they can do that. You saw earlier in this broadcast that Republicans want to take some money out of the stadium reserve and devote it to building three new veterans homes. Governor Dayton says that's not the avenue to do that. What are your thoughts yeah, on that? I, You're a veteran yourself. I am, and I've been behind these, and we've been behind the effort in Preston to make sure this happens. Uh, no, this is, once again, go to the taxpayers, have them fund this the correct way. Uh, that money was set aside, and originally the stadium fund, a separate pot of money. Again, I, I think this borrowing and putting it in and, and then trying to pit people about this. Let's just be very clear. Everybody in Minnesota wants us to care for our veterans and wants us to get this done. Let's have the courage to fund it in the normal means. And finally, you're going to be seeking the endorsement at the convention uh, next month. If you do not get the endorsement, are you going to abide by it or are you running in a primary regardless? Uh, I leave the option open to run in a primary. I've said that from the beginning. I think it gives more Minnesotans an opportunity. We certainly are seeking. We're certainly feeling good about uh, getting the endorsement. There's two other really great candidates, uh, friends of mine, in this race. But we think we're in a position to get it. But I leave that door open for a primary. All right, Congressman Tim Walls, he is running for governor of Minnesota in 2018. Best of luck to you. We'll see you on the campaign trail and certainly at the convention yeah. uh, coming up next month. Tim Walls, thanks for being here. Up next, we'll be joined by Sarah Walker and former House Speaker Kurt Zellers for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. And welcome back. Time now for political analysis with Sarah Walker, who you see here often, and former House Speaker Kurt Zellers, who is new to our political uh, analysis team. So thanks for being here. Good to see you both. Uh, Absolutely. Speaker Zellers, let me ask you about this. There are now three competing tax plans on the table. You've been through this <laughs> drill before. Yes. How difficult is it going to be, first of all, for a Republican House and Senate to come to a compromise and then try to get something that the governor will sign? Well, Minnesotans like choices, right? So <laughs> you elect uh, three different bodies, the House, Senate, and the governor. So you have three different options. Um, I think the overlying theme, so I'll start with the positive and maybe uh, finish with the challenge, is all conform with some of these federal you know, changes in the federal tax code, which is good for Minnesota. It's always hard to do, especially when you're in, a, you're coming into session and a, you know, right before that tax season. So do a couple of things real quick in order to get them in for filers. This will be for tax year, you know, for this tax year. Uh, I like the way the House and Senate have taken the approach, which is to cut those lower brackets, mm -hmm. but not raise taxes. And the governor's plan is the only one that includes a tax increase. So what's the biggest challenge? I think, especially from the House and Senate version, is they're looking at, the Senate version looks at complete conformity. The House version takes some of those tax cuts and then puts them into businesses as well. The governor and Democrats insist that it favors the wealthiest taxpayers and businesses. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with Kurt. Minnesotans like choices, but I can tell you they're not going to like the choices in the House and the Senate right now. And there's some very clear reason why. For example, the House bill has 40, it reduces 40 cost-saving deductions. Some of those deductions include stuff like being able to get reimbursed, like for clothes that 
that you want to buy for work. So anything that you are doing for work, you are not going to be able to deduct. And even they even take away the ability, if your house burns down, you'll no longer be able to take that deduction. The Senate plan is even more disturbing because what it does is it includes an automatic tax reduction trigger if there's a surplus. States that have done this have had major problems. But moreover, what it does is it hand ties the state government in order to respond to economic needs and downturns. And we have those disagreements on the tax bill. We're going to have similar disagreements on the bonding bill. Yeah. The, the House Republicans and the governor, they're miles and miles apart. Uh, the governor looking for twice as much money as the House. Uh, shocking. <laughs> he wants to spend twice as much as the House. You know, I, I think the, the big driving difference I see is the infrastructure. House Republicans put over $128 million into roads and local bridges, and then another $120 million into water cleanup. The governor has a lot in there for you know, colleges and universities. Not that those aren't important, but if you travel around greater Minnesota, there is a huge, huge need out there for these wastewater treatment and clean water facilities, and these small towns just simply don't have the tax base. Real critical part of the bonding bill. Are they likely to end up somewhere in the middle like they usually do? I'm certain they'll end up somewhere in the middle, but I do think that the, the House bill right now, and yet we haven't still seen the Senate bill, really does not address the critical infrastructure needs of the state at the moment. Just 30 seconds left. We see a lot of politics being played with an eye toward the elections. You've got Governor Dayton calling for emergency funding for schools and saying Republicans are more interested in tax cuts for the wealthy. You've got Republicans trying to use money from the stadium fund to build veterans' homes, trying to make Democrats look like they're against uh, veterans. Are we going to see a lot more of that here at the end of the session? Oh, yes. We're going to see a ton more political posturing by both sides as we lead up, and they're looking for things to campaign on as we go into an election cycle. Even though they know these things are not going to pass, they right. want to score points. And I'm fine with that because they keep working on the tax bill and the bonding bill. So they'll do all these things because they're, it's the, the limelight's on. You guys are watching them now. So they bring up these political points now. But if they continue to work on the tax bill and the bonding bill, I'm actually okay with it because they're going to actually get those two done at the end of the day. These things aren't going to happen. All right. Kurt Zeller, Sarah Walker, thanks for being here. Thank As you. always, enjoy the rest of your weekend honoring our Minnesota military members. We'll tell you about that coming up next. I was honored to serve as Master of Ceremonies at the Minnesotans Military Appreciation Fund dinner this week. MMAF has raised nearly $11 million since 2005 and this week made its 17,000th cash grant to a member of the military who has served in a combat zone since 9-11. Marine Gunnery Sergeant Kyle Halland received a grant this week after serving tours of duty in Afghanistan and the Philippines. One of the keynote speakers was retired Lieutenant Colonel Ken Reiser, from 2010 to 2012, while President Obama was in office, he served as commander of Andrews Air Force Base, where Air Force One is based. Reiser is a graduate of Southwest High School in Minneapolis. Well, you can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the At Issue page at KSTP.com. That is all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.